Hey, this is Tommy Wiseau, and you're listening to CineSnap broadcast and podcast and whatever you call it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Again, this is Tommy Wiseau. Give support these guys. They need you. They are good people. Bye. This is the CineSnap Podcast. Welcome to episode 112 of the CineSnap Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. And I am Cody Viavania. And Cody, we are basking in the afterglow of the 90th Academy Awards last night. Mm-hmm. I know you were at a, a party thrown by our pal Kiko uh, as uh, our once uh, a former member of this podcast team. Let's go ahead and say it. He's a former member. Friend of the uh, show at this point. <laughs> He's been downgraded. <laughs> friend of the show, Kiko Martinez, uh, a party that I used to attend when I lived in San Antonio. But uh, yeah. I... Uh, I uh, live in Austin now, so I sit and watch the Oscars by myself with my cats. So, yeah. well, there was a nice spread last night. You missed a uh, you missed a good spread. It's it's always a nice spread there. I think uh, a little uh, little lasagna, oh, a little uh, a little uh, Caesar salad. With coincidentally, some... coincidentally, I had uh, lasagna for dinner last night without even oh, knowing. That is adorable. We were we were all in the same wavelength. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you make your uh, your call me by your name peaches? You were, you were <laughs> no, I ran out of time. Aww. Aww, that it's was a good. it's a labor intensive dish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can only make one every few hours, I assume, right? <laughs> oh uh, boy, I mean, you're not as young as you used to be. Let's, <laughs> let's face it. Uh, yeah, no, man. So. Uh, uh, how did you do in your picks? I, I didn't actually make any formal picks this year, uh, but I know I know Kiko requires you to make picks when you attend. Yeah, um, I got eighteen out of twenty four. Um, I, I I really got screwed up in a couple of different areas. I got so Kiko uh, does not allow himself to win a prize um, yes. for either him or his children when they happen to win because. Uh, Kiko makes picks for his children so that he can be ballsier. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I won second place, um, uh, bested by one point um, by uh, Brian. <laughs> but uh, oh, a friend friend of the show, Brian. Yeah, uh, yeah. So wow. uh, oh man, um, I, you must have hated losing to Brian. <laughs> well, yeah, I did. But uh, um, but yeah, no, I got thrown off in a couple different areas. Um, and I guess we can. This can segue into the topic of conversation. Um, so first of all, the short films screwed everyone up because they always do. So I got two, two out of three wrong on the short you, films. You mean you didn't pick uh, Kobe Bryant to win an Oscar? I did actually. That's the oh, one I did. did pick. Yeah. Um, and then there was some that that kind of got everyone. I think. Um, I'm trying to think back. Uh, documentary, I, I went with Faces Places over Icarus. I, I actually had turmoil about that. I also had turmoil over visual effects. I really thought that they were finally going to give like a like a honorary award to Planet of the Apes for the three movies they've done, and I cannot believe that they had, did not do that. I, I thought so, too. It went to uh, Blade Runner 2049, or 2049, as everybody kept saying at the at the show last night. I always thought it was 2049, but... So did I. Anyway, uh, yeah, I wasn't terribly thrilled with that pick. I, I thought that was War of Planet of the Apes to lose, but it did. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the fact, and I'm assuming Avatar probably won, that, but I just wonder if, like, when it's everything's not CG and, and it's like a, uh, like, I don't, I don't think that they realize how complicated it is to have the human and the CG characters interact in the way that they do. And also the work that's put in by... Um, by the the filmmakers of Planet of the Apes and Weta and everyone who does the stuff there of making these, I mean, they're just half of the cast and characters are it's CGI apes and they feel real. They're fully fleshed. They're it's just the craziest thing that they cannot win that award. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm I'm convinced that those are like those are real apes as far as I'm concerned. You know, yeah. when you watch that. So uh, let's see, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes lost to Interstellar. <sighs> and uh, <laughs> and Rise of the Planet of the Apes lost to Hugo. Do you rem- do you even remember Hugo? Uh, I mean, I I have a faint re- memory of that I movie. Don't, yeah. I don't remember the visual effects in that, except for like some clockwork. Look, it had there- really good 3D, actually. But yeah, I remember that now. 
Uh, I think uh, that actually the first year that was up against some heavy hitters. Uh, I thought as as bad as the movie was or as kind of mediocre as the movie was that 2011 uh, Real Steel had some great visual effects. That was also in the running with Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But yeah, uh, 2014 uh, saw Interstellar, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Guardians of the Galaxy and X-Men Days of Future Past, which I don't know how Dawn of the Planet of the Apes didn't walk away with that. But you know, mm-hmm. I, anyway, it's it's that's one of the categories that's always hard to predict for me because it's all just really great now. Yeah, it is, and and it's a weird one to be indignant about, but it's it's one <laughs> of those things that you know it's I feel like they they really deserve that, and it screwed up my Oscar pool. So uh, the other ones, I mean, look, the the show was not that surprising. Uh, there weren't many surprises. The stuff that I lost on was coin flip stuff where where Get Out had been trending for best original screenplay, but Three Billboards wasn't eligible for the WGA award, so people were making a big deal out of Get Out winning the WGA, but Three Billboards was its main competition, wasn't nominated, and of course didn't win. I thought Three Billboards was going to come through um, on that, and then the second that that happened, I knew it wasn't winning Best Picture, which I picked so, it for. So so let's talk about, uh, let's start at the top with Best Picture. Uh, went to The Shape of Water, we we never talked about it on this show, but I wasn't terribly impressed with the shape of water, uh, and, and it kind of felt like all of the Guillermo del Toro movies to me, just sort of the same Lovecraftian uh, homage uh, genre film that that really forgettable as soon as it le- as soon as you stop watching it. I guess this one was a little more memorable memorable because of the fish sex essentially. But uh, what did you think of the movie? I don't remember if we talked about it or not. I like it. I, I don't. I liked it a little bit more the second time that I saw it. I think that it's a good movie. I don't. It, it wasn't in my top ten. It's probably somewhere in the top fifteen or so. I like a lot of things about it. Um, I like. I love Richard. I think Richard Jenkins is the best part of it. Um, I love yeah. his performance. I think Sally Hawkins is great. I like Michael Shannon. I like Michael Stuhlbarg. I think that. I, I think that its parts are pretty good. I, I do think that. Um, well, and I, I do like that it's weird. I do like that there there, it's not this completely romanticized thing. Like she has sex with this thing. <laughs> like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of I kind of like that it embraces its weirdness in that way. That being said, it still felt a little slight, and it certainly didn't feel like best picture material. I was I was really hoping for three billboards, but um, uh, didn't quite get there. Yeah, I, I thought of uh, it. You know, going into the night, I felt like Get Out might have had more momentum than than it had in the past. Yeah, uh, I but think I, so too. I I thought Three Billboards was going to to take it, and uh, you know, once uh, once you said uh, that it missed out on the it was a best uh, it was best original sc- best yeah. original screenplay that went to Get Out, which uh, I think that's probably the strongest award uh, that Get Out had the chance at winning anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Daniel Kaluuya was a uh, a, you know, I don't think he was, I mean, he, he was good in the movie. I don't, I feel like that best actor slot was meant for James Franco and they couldn't give it to James Franco and they gave it to Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya but uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think that's accurate. I think that if had Franco had not had the controversy that he would have had that last spot. In fact, I, I think that he probably would have, Franco would have had a spot ahead of Denzel too, had that not happened. You know, uh, <laughs> that, that's one of those movies that I don't even remember uh hearing anything about roman j israel esquire that's how kind of that's how how weak i feel like the best actor field was this year it was what, it was a crazy week but yeah that, that this movie that can like i don't even know when it came out honestly i yeah. uh I, I believe it was a, an award season movie but i don't know anything about it and that it can just fly under the radar completely and you know denzel washington's always a pretty safe bet to get a nomination these days but uh, you know, a movie that you have no idea exists is is a strange one for for a best actor performance, uh, which went to uh, Gary Oldman, of course. In another movie I haven't seen, The Darkest or uh, Darkest Hour. I don't know if you did. You manage to see Darkest Hour? I did not. <laughs> I don't. That's another one that I have no idea when it when it was released. And uh, I, I seeing the clips, I wasn't terribly impressed with anything in it. Look, I man. Feel like- uh, yeah, I mean, I no no part of that movie interested it interested me very much, especially 
um, especially when I when I kind of heard the feedback was sort of middling on it. Like I I heard it was just okay. I mean, look, the 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 fact of the matter was Gary Oldman was winning that Oscar. It was the lock of the night. Though I was reading some really interesting stuff. So Vulture did this uh, feature where they interviewed some uh, new members of the Academy and see and saw what they voted for. And what they were finding was uh, was that the younger members of the Academy were almost all going to Timothy Chalamet um, for their votes, which is out of that category who I would have liked to see win. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, Gary Oldman is a, is pretty much a lifetime achievement award at this point for you know everything that he's done in the past. Yeah, it's another one of those things, one of those lifetime awards where <laughs> you know you 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 have someone who gets nominated. Like I mean. Again, the DiCaprio was a total lifetime achievement award. Right, I think right. for Revenant. I mean, I he was he was the he was not even the best part about that movie. Tom Hardy was better than him. I agree. Uh, and uh and also um you know, you you see it happen occasionally with some other people as well like um what are some I, I mean, I, there's other examples, but uh um you know, probably Christopher Plummer uh with uh what was oh, that beginners. movie? The beginners, yeah. I, you know, just because he was so damned old, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I again, going back to Blade Runner, I think uh, Blade Runner was was very well done. I, I don't know that that's the one I would have given Roger Deakins an Oscar for over something oh. like like Sicario. Oh or, yeah, or Sicario, or Prisoners, or yeah, or any any number of things. I mean, Skyfall. I mean, shit, he yeah. should have won for Skyfall, but. Uh, you know, he, he's, he just got lucky that Emmanuel Lubezki didn't have a movie this year, (laughs) Uh, but no, I, I agree. And also, uh, I would have given that Oscar to, uh, the guy who shot Dunkirk. (laughs) I I thought that was a better shot uh, movie. uh, Hoyt Hoyt Van uh, Hoytma or whatever. That's a great name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, same here. Uh, but I, I, I still can't believe he lost for Sicario because I thought that was, I, well, who did that? I got to look that up who that lost to, but, uh. I mean, he's lost to Lebeski, like what three years in a row on really solid films. That must have been uh, that must have been Lubeski. That must have been Birdman, right? Two thousand fifteen. Uh, yeah, that would have been Birdman. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Which which Birdman should have won? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, true. I, I won't argue Lubeski's wins in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, just there's it's it's a shame that you feel like they might trade every now and then, you know, throw, you know, because I mean, Roger Deakins is incredible. But yeah, anyway. so he lost to um, in 20, uh, 2015, he lost to The Revenant, actually. Oh, that's right. Uh, Birdman was 2014. He okay. was nominated for Unbroken and lost to Birdman. He was nominated for Prisoners and lost to Gravity. And those are all Lubeski movies. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he lost, I remember... he actually, sorry, he actually lost Skyfall to Life of Pi. Oh, that was the big controversial one where yeah. it was a bunch of digital uh, effects. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a, wasn't there a rumor that uh, he secretly directed Unbroken because that was Angelina Jolie's film? Or I that, don't know. I thought that was something like that, or that he was at least mostly responsible for the directing duties. I didn't like that movie anyway. But yeah, it was a bad movie. <laughs> uh, so best actress uh, went to Frances McDormand, which was pretty much a lock. I don't think there was any serious challengers to that. No, and it was completely deserved. I actually felt like all like I didn't. I haven't seen Oldman, but the other three ones are like very solidly. They deserved the award out of that category, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I still would make the case for Laurie Metcalf over, um, uh, Alison Janney just yeah. as a personal preference, but I, I, I don't mind Alison Janney either. And then the best supporting actor of course, went to Sam Rockwell, uh, over, uh, Woody Harrelson and, um, God, who else was in that category? Uh, Richard Jenkins was in there. Christopher Plummer was in there. And, oh, yeah. um, there was one other that was pretty good too. Uh, oh, Defoe, Willem Defoe. Oh yeah, I would have given that to Willem Defoe if I had every if I had the choice. I would have given that to Willem Defoe, but I don't mind Sam Rockwell. I feel the same way, but at the same thing, it's a it's a thing where I've been a huge fan of Sam Rockwell for years, and so it's actually really cool to see him, you know, you, 
payoff there. Do you think uh, uh, Christopher Plummer's nomination was just a like a, a bone to throw for for being like this guy that came in and rescued this movie from a predator? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> I do because I think I think that you could have very easily substituted him with either of the guys from Call Me by Your Name, either Stuhlbarg or Army Hammer. Would have yeah. much should like both of them probably should have been in there. I, I loved, uh, we talked about it before when we talked about Call Me By Your Name, but that monologue from Stuhlbarg yeah. sealed the movie for me. It's probably one of the best pieces of acting all year, that, yeah. that scene. But Army Hammer, I think, did a really good job, too, and I think, uh, you know, kind of got left out in the cold on that one. Uh, let's see, what else was there? Uh, best uh, director, of course, went to Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Um, I don't really have a, a problem with that. I, I no. I don't have a a, a, f- a real fondness for him, but uh, I think that was probably the the uh, you know a, a reward for uh, being well liked and being kind of a real positive force in the industry. I think you know he seems he, like a nice guy. He yeah he does. Um, though I will say uh, I would have much rather seen Christopher Nolan win uh, <laughs> for Dunkirk. I, I just I just felt like Dunkirk was the best directed movie of the year. Yeah, I, I can see that. I. I I feel like uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like you you feel I, I kind of feel like this was with uh, Damien Chazelle last year. Like it's hard to separate the film from the filmmaker, and it's hard to you know it's one of those things where you if you're rewarding the film, you have to reward the filmmaker too because it's such a singular vision. Well, think- well, the the weird thing about that is that that's how things used to be, and then the the trend of the split came and just screwed with everything true like um i mean for year i mean it, for years the split i the split only happened a handful of times in the oscars and then um and then it happened i i've got the list here um because the split is such a a weird thing so um so the the first time that it happened i believe was um well the first time in recent memory was uh, when uh, Ang Lee won for Life of Pi, um, and then um, was it Argo? It was uh, it was Argo. Well, no, um, no, because Ar- Argo and Gravity were the same year, right? No, because Argo oh, won best picture. Argo won best picture, and uh, but wasn't nominated for best director. Right? I, was that all the way back in twenty twelve? Was it? I I can't remember. I can't remember when Argo came out. Yeah, th- yeah, that was Argo. So Argo won Best Picture. Ang Lee won for Life of Pi. The next year, Alfonso Cuarón wrote uh, won for um, uh, Gravity, and then Twelve Years Twelve a years. Slave won Best Picture. And then in 2015, The Revenant won for Best Director, and then Best Picture went to Spotlight. And then in 2016, Chazelle won for La La Land, and then Moonlight got Best Picture. That's right. So I mean, it hap- It's happened a ton, and I I thought it was going to happen again this year. I really did. Yeah. Um, I I just didn't think that Shape of Water. I thought that they were going to like give Del Toro his um his Oscar, and then you know n- give the recognition to um Three Billboards. So even though Three Billboards got the acting nominations, I feel like it kind of lost the night a little bit. Yeah, I I, I mean I. I don't know. I, I, I'm curious as, as to if the, the controversy that played into it had any effect on that, because that's the one that uh, is it is it still true that everybody votes for best uh, picture and then like the guilds or the actors vote for actors? I don't know if they've changed that rule or not. I think I, I don't I don't know, because because wouldn't that make sense that you would have a one to one match on all the prizes that were voted on just by the guilds with like WGA and DGA? It doesn't always happen that way, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know either, but uh, maybe that played into it. I, I don't know. I didn't feel like it. It suffered any. I mean, those are two big acting nomination, two big acting wins for it. I think. Uh, I think it's pretty solidly represented. I mean, you know, it probably could have, uh, you know, been argued that best original screenplay was a toss up between it. I, I feel like they wanted to honor Get Out in some fashion, and I feel like that was Get Out's only chance to win. Well, here I mean, here's the thing: it's that the 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 best picture is done on a preferential ballot, and I think that is how things like Shape of Water can win, where something that that was moderately divisive, like Three Billboards, happens, and it's on the bottom of a lot of lists. Whereas mm-hmm. Shape of Water is hanging around two or three or one, 
and hasn't more votes than that, then that's how something like that can sneak in. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, okay, let's move on to something else. Uh, so best uh, animated film went to, uh, obviously, Coco. I don't think there were anything el- there was anything else that was seriously uh, uh, challenging it. Yeah, I mean, Boss Baby should have won. Let's be fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then let's go on to the, the best song also went to Coco. But I almost feel like that uh, the Greatest Showman song is a little better. Uh, I think uh, that you have to consider the context of where it plays in the movie for for Coco, which is what, where why that song is what it is. I, I I mean I love the song and I love the movie, um, but watching that performance and I you did you ever see the Greatest Showman? I did not. You know it's not a real great movie. I mean it's fine, but that song is pretty great. Um, and I seeing that performance last night, I was I was. Pretty set on Coco as a winner, but seeing the performance last night, I remembered that how good of a song that was. Uh, but you know, I, I I'm fine with Coco winning. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it's that's fine. There's I, I don't think it was one of those years where there's a runaway winner anyway. Um, but you know, yeah. Anyway, uh, so let's see. Anything else? Uh, best adapted screenplay went to Call Me by Your Name. Uh, I obviously was pulling for the Disaster Artist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, one other thing about uh, song was that that made uh, Robert Lopez the first ever double EGOT winner. Uh, so he's the first ever person to win at least two Emmys, Tonys, Oscars, and Grammys. <sighs> Only thirteen people in history have ever EGOTed once. Yeah, so. it's uh, and like Whoopi Goldberg and uh, I think Rita Moreno are the two. Like the that come to mind most quickly. Yeah, Scott Rudin, the producer, is also has one. Yeah. Um, I feel like I feel like before time is done, that Trey Parker and Matt Stone will do it. <laughs> you think they're going to win an Oscar? Yeah, I will. Yeah, because they've always talked about uh, adapting Book of Mormon, and if they uh, if they do like one original song for that, they'll probably win. They I almost won for Blame Canada. They probably should have. I don't. You know, who won that year? Two, Phil Collins. Nine? Oh, for Tarzan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, how do I know that? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't. I don't know. I just rattled that off as if I've known that my entire life. I was nine, and I knew it. Uh, so, so uh, best adapted screenplay. Uh, I again, like I said, I was pulling for the disaster artist, uh, but I, I think it was a pretty strong category. I, actually, I haven't seen Mudbound, so I didn't. Uh, I don't know much about Mudbound, but I think the other three scripts that won uh, that were nominated, Molly's Game is is pretty solid. Uh, Logan, of course, is is good, and uh, the Disaster Artist. I mean, Call Me by Your Name. I feel like they wanted to give it something, and that's probably where they gave it. Yeah, and uh, and James Ivory becomes the oldest person to ever win an Oscar. How old is that guy? Eighty nine. Jeez. Anyway, uh, and still see. got it. Still got the uh, the mind working. He's still uh, <laughs> able to rustle up some. Uh, some filth. Yeah. Oh boy. A uh, dirty old man. <laughs> uh, anything else uh, you want to talk about before uh, before we move on? I mean, there's there's kind of the tech categories left. Uh, yeah, no, not really. Um, because I because it, it was one of the years where I didn't really see much nominated for foreign or documentary, and documentary was kind of uh, a crapshoot once Jane wasn't even nominated because Jane was running away with everything, and then suddenly it doesn't get nominated at all. Yeah. Um. And uh, and yeah, no, I I don't think that there's anything other than Kobe Bryant being an Oscar winner. I mean, that's. I, I think one of my favorite things about that was, and I I texted you about it or messaged you about it was that. Even he didn't get a good seat. He got the shitty animated short <laughs> yeah. seat. I'm like, why the fuck is Kobe Bryant in the very back? Like, I guess they just give out the seats based on the awards. Like, you'd think he'd be front row, but nope. Nope. Anyway, um, uh, was Kiko sad that Phantom Thread wasn't better represented? Every time Phantom Thread was nominated, he would be chanting for it before it was called. <laughs> I was like, this is a this is a worthless endeavor, man. <laughs> it won costume design, so yeah, um, that was probably a foregone conclusion. But probably, yeah. And did... the costume designer won the jet ski, so oh, that's right. Uh, and, and did they get the trip to Lake Havasu or something too? <laughs> yeah. Did you? See, I I missed it, and then I saw it later where he actually came out on the jet ski with Helen Mirren. Oh yeah, at the very end. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't see that. I, what did you think of the show overall? 
I it was thought... pretty it was pretty lackluster for me. Um there were just there were just way too many montages going on. I, that, I still I still yeah. don't understand the montage of like tribute to military movies. Or... That was weird as hell. <laughs> I feel like that was a, a, a play to to win some uh, win some support back from people that thought it was all godless Hollywood liberals. Yeah, like, maybe. Like, like, oh, remember we make these great war movies too? Yeah, we support we support our troops too, right? Yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing about it. I I thought that Kimmel's monologue was a little light in the joke department. Um, I do wonder if that was intentional. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't think it was that great. Personally, I think there were a couple good gags. Um, I thought the jet ski thing was pretty, pretty funny. Um, uh, I, I thought that the movie theater thing was not that great. It was kind of a mess. I, I, but really quickly, did you see any of the monologue from, uh, from John Mulaney and Nick Kroll from the spirit awards? Like if you want a monologue, you need to go watch that. I saw the the bit you sent to me and told me to watch and it was pretty funny. I'll have to watch the whole thing. Oh, the whole thing is brutal. I mean, they, they go after, um, so they, they do a big thing about the time's up movement, but they tell specific anecdotes about Harvey Weinstein and Brett Ratner that, that, that (laughs) happened to them. That's just trashing them. And it's really funny. I'll uh, I'll put that on my list to watch. So on a different note, uh, you and I had a little uh, theater date last Friday with mm-hmm. our respective girlfriends. So it was yes, it wasn't just us. We couldn't uh, make out as much as we wanted to, uh, but we saw uh, uh, the uh, San Antonio Symphony uh, performance of La La Land uh, live along with the film uh, at the Majestic Theater. Um, We've gone to multiple events of this, and they're always always really well done. And I I don't know about you, but it always gives me uh, a pretty uh, a, a fresh look at the movie that I'm watching, even if yes. it's something I've seen a million times. And I think you were telling me uh, during the intermission that uh, watching La La Land again, having not seen it since awards season last year, that it was better than you remembered. Yeah, it was. And 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 maybe that's just and honestly it might be some of the the uh internal hatred I had for it for everyone loving it so much that I created this own backlash. The thing I always forget is that you know, that was a top 10 movie for me. It was on my top 10 list, but everyone loved it and I didn't to that degree and I thought there were much better movies that I maybe I created this backlash. Uh, I, I really liked it. I loved, I, I thought, I think that it may have been the best of the events that's, that the symphony has done so far. Um, the music is, is really present in there and it's, it's complicated and complex and you have, uh, like we thought it's, it's people singing over the symphony playing and there's a lot of piano solos from Ryan Gosling's character, which they had, uh, there were a couple sync issues, but other than that, the guy's playing note for note, that entire piano solo and, uh, just a really great musicianship on this one. I, I think that's probably the the one thing that set this apart from the other performances that that I've seen. At least I've seen uh, E. T. and uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. I think are the two that I've seen. Uh, but it's that the music is part of the narrative, and you you haven't really seen. Uh, you know, watching them, I, I didn't even think about it going into the movie, but you're seeing them play, you know, that, that piano solo that pops up and there's a couple of them actually, but that pops up, uh, and you're watching the keys be hit and you're hearing them in time. You know, there's, there was a minor sync issue. I think that, you know, can't really be, you know, I, I don't hold anybody at fault for that. Cause it was fucking incredible, but, uh, it's not it was something I didn't think about and something that was really pulled off really, really well and surprisingly well for just how complicated some of that stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's always like this, you know, high wire act that they're doing, but, uh, and you know what I really liked about it is it was loud. Uh, so many <laughs> yes. of these are, are quiet and you can't hear anything. And I think maybe just because the vibrancy of the music and that it's jazz it was loud in there, and, and they were really projecting. And also another really cool feature, I don't know how much this impacted you, but um, there were lights on the side of the stage that were changing based on the lighting in the scene. And it's a very mm-hmm. colorful movie, and I love that. Um, anytime the lighting would change significantly, the lights along the side would change. And it was just this really cool, like, people are clearly putting a lot of work into this that I really appreciated. Yeah, and they, uh, I, you uh, walked in a, a little bit after the conductor's announcement, Um 
But uh, I don't know if you realize they were they did a little bit of improv in the show. Oh no! Um, they uh, and I the only one I caught was uh, that final the final scene um, at the jazz club. You know where it's um, where it segues into the sort of dream sequence. Mm-hmm. That's uh, they they play a little bit of uh, deep in the heart of Texas. Oh yeah, yeah. I caught that as like that. Yeah, that was not in the original film. So, so why were they doing the improv just to do it? Just to be, just to play, uh, you know, pay tribute to the spirit of jazz. Okay. You know, to to sort of you know play what you feel. Um, I I don't I couldn't spot any other times they did because I don't know the music of the movie that well, but but that one I definitely liked and it was it was very it was very fun. Um, you know, you could it seemed like one of those really fun performances because they had extra they had like jazz musicians. In the symphony too, like they had a jazz guitarist and a uh, uh, the piano player was amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it was just a lot of fun. And, and you know, I, I did like the movie quite a bit when I first saw it, and I still it still holds up really well for me. Um, you know, I, I don't the hate it gets is really unfounded. I mean, there's some there is some plot uh, uh, things that are a little uh, out there if you think about them, but. The, the the backlash against the movie is really really unfounded in my opinion. I mean, I I, I totally uh, can understand why uh, you know uh, people got sick of it because there is a lot of praise for it and it's 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 one of those movies you're going to either love or hate. I assume because it's a musical. Yeah, I, I think for me it was just the songs were a lot better. They were more memorable. The singing was was good. Um, the uh, the soundtrack and the score is really really great. Um, like, like themes that'll get stuck in your head for days. Like I have been <laughs> the same here. I was, I was humming one at work today. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I think that the movie's really good too. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that it recaptures. So I think the thing that was bothering me was that, um, a lot of people would say like, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's like the golden age of cinema. And I just, I just didn't think that it was, it, Harken back to that in any way i just think it was a solid modern musical i i don't think that there was and really it's it for for being a musical it's not that musically and um i i there's a handful of songs and lots of good music in it but you know it's not like you know singing like les mis where they're singing their every piece oh, of dialogue <laughs> yeah well that's an opera essentially but yeah i mean it does have aspirations to be a little more um you know, magical in its in its view of of Hollywood and success, and you know that's where it can get a little precious. Um, you know, we were talking about this the the sort of uh, mentality it has about jazz is a little bit, uh, you know, like come on, and uh, and some of the 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 visions of success, like what what success means, is a little bit uh, skewed. You know, got Ryan Gosling's character gets gets shit on by Emma Stone's character for being in a successful touring band, you know, where he's obviously making tons of money. And anyway, there, I can see where people can have some problems with plotting issues, but I think overall it's a really, really well done movie. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, watching it in this atmosphere was, was a hell of a lot of fun. Right. Uh, Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. So uh, again, we've, uh, we uh, gave away some tickets for that. Uh, so do watch out for for more of these coming up in the future. I did see they have uh, Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl coming up. Yeah, which is which is uh, I love that soundtrack too, uh, and and that's probably I think that's the only Pirates of the Caribbean movie that I actually like. So I, I would like to to revisit that, revisit that one because it's probably been a good twelve to thirteen years since I've watched that film. Yeah, and it has an out like an absolutely awesome score to it. Also. Yes, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, was that that's Hans Zimmer, right? Uh, I think so, but uh, um, I don't know off the top of my head. But yeah, we can look it up. Let's see. Let's see. Pirates of the Caribbean score. Yeah. So Curse of the Black Pearl was uh, yeah Hans Zimmer. Yeah. So you were good. Good job. I, apparently his uh, so like he went on tour last year. Uh, like he even played like Coachella, and uh, apparently there's a there's a to- a concert tour of him on Netflix that just came out like in, within the past week. Oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting. I I was one of my favorite channels that's gone from Sirius XM was a soundtrack channel. Uh, I think it was called Cinemagic. 
that was where I first heard, uh, it's a terrible movie, but the soundtrack for, um, oh shit. What is the Kevin Smith movie? Cop out. Oh yeah. That movie fucking sucks, but that soundtrack is amazing. Cause it's a uh, Harold, uh, Falter Meyer. Yeah. Who did, uh, like Fletch and Beverly Hills cop and yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for more of these events from the San Antonio Symphony. And uh, we'll hopefully have some tickets to give away for the upcoming stuff. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff that they do, so. Heck yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. This week we've got Red Sparrow. Dominique Gorba. You know my name? You told me. <laughs> you stole my ID from the pool. That would be illegal. Were you just looking for me? I had nowhere to find you if I was. I'm curious. Did you want me to know that you were following me, or are you just real clumsy? The Americans always think the rest of us are so interested in you, don't you? So what made you want to become a translator? My mother is unwell. If I work for the government, the state helps me to get her. My uncle helped me get the job. Your uncle is a very powerful man. In my country, if you don't matter to the men in power, you do not matter. Uh, I'd like to see you again. Why are we going to become friends? Is that what you want? I don't have any. There's a Russian restaurant right by the opera. Have dinner with me there. Tomorrow a date. Okay. Ballerina Dominika Ergorova is recruited to Sparrow School, a Russian intelligence service where she is forced to use her body as a weapon. Her first mission, targeting a CIA agent, threatens to unravel the security of both nations. Now, we've both seen this. You saw it a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. Uh, I went and saw it over the weekend. What did you think of Red Sparrow? So the first thing that comes to mind when I was watching the movie was, uh, and I think you'll probably agree, with how poorly timed this movie is. Um, it's, I, it, 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 so one of the things that I I feel is a big problem right now is movies that I think are intending to be feminist and missing the mark on it. Um, especially given the landscape that we're in right now. And really this movie could not come at a worse time. The whole thing is, it's an entire movie about Jennifer Lawrence using her sexuality to, gain advantage over people and while that sounds like it's a powerful thing there's stuff that happens in this movie that 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 made me kind of recoil a little bit like there's scenes where she's being applauded for her spy work for getting punched in the face by a man and and getting like bruised and, and then you're like oh she did it to to make him, to get answers out of him and it's just a <laughs> like a, it's just a weird weird thing um I, I, I so I feel like it's poorly timed in that sense, and I don't think it gets across the feminist message it wants to. It's the worst offense, though, is that it's painfully boring. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 it moves like a glacier. It's not that interesting. I feel like the, the twists that it plays are sort of telegraphed, and, and and they unravel a little bit too slowly. I think the acting is okay. I, I actually like Joel Edgerton in here. I think he's he's pretty good. He's pretty solid. Jennifer Lawrence, if you can get past her accent, is fine. But um, I just feel like the the movie it doesn't fully embrace its like Russian spy stuff. And I think it tries. It spends way too much time with her at Sparrow School and trying to come across some message of sexuality and using sexuality as a weapon that just falls flat yes. and um and, and none of that resonates it on and on any level and then after that it's just kind of a mess of convoluted twists and plot points and you know trying to figure out who she is and what her motivations are and what she's going to do and you know by the end of it you just don't care <laughs> you know uh um i i have the same feeling about it i i was not a fan at all and i thought it was terribly boring but it, it really pales in comparison to something that's really well done in this genre and i don't know if you've watched it before but it's fx uh the fx show the americans I, i've which is, seen a little bit but not enough to get that so yeah. i i've been i've been binging on it lately i'm trying to catch up uh with the final season starting here later in this month and it's just so much uh it's just it's done so much better 
it's uh, you know, first of all, they have actors that really speak Russian, <clears throat> and they they play up the uh, the impl- the implications, like the psychological implications that that something like using your body to to manipulate people into getting what you need to serve your country is done is shown with with much greater uh, depth and uh, a sense of of the the torment it causes a person. This feels like it doesn't like it just. Like she just does it. Like it doesn't feel real at all. You know, there's there's no there's no uh, psychological thing she goes through. They just she's a fucking ballerina who then is recruited to be a spy, and it doesn't seem to affect her psyche at all. Were you off? Were you as put off by the sexual nature of it as I was, and in, in the way that it's presented? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of gross. Uh, in, in the way that the Sparrow School, uh, I mean, the the movie calls, you know, has Jennifer Lawrence call it whore school uh, later to a to another character, and it, it's pretty appropriate, but it doesn't feel like it's a like it feels like it. This is left over from like some shitty Cinemax movie. Yeah, like it, it, yeah. Well, uh, here's the thing: it, it, um, there's one scene in particular that that really rubbed me the wrong way, and I, I'm I'm just gonna spoil it. Because whatever. <laughs> okay. So if you're sensitive to spoilers, whatever. So but there's there's a scene where um where someone tries to rape Jennifer Lawrence's character mm-hmm. um and she fights back against it and in order to test her, um she has she you know, they bring the guy who attempted to rape her back into the classroom in front of everyone and tell Jennifer Lawrence to like let him let him have what he wants. And Anyway, this whole thing comes to the conclusion where Jennifer Lawrence gets naked and and makes like makes her or faces him instead of, you know, like turning around from behind and like he can't do it or can't perform or whatever. And I'm like this this is a weird way of showing like sexual power. Like like being like, yeah, okay, we'll let him rape. I, it was just a I just that 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 whole sequence really was uncomfortable I yeah think. I, and it doesn't really make sense like the whole thing about the the spy school or uh, the sparrow school doesn't really it doesn't never really all holds together because it doesn't you know it just seems to be a, a method to torture the character before she breaks out on her own and it, you know it, it it i can't help but feel like this is uh you know, they just took whatever the the Black Widow story would have been from a Black Widow uh, solo movie with with uh, Scarlett yeah. Johansson and just tried to sex it up. Yeah, um, yeah. It just it's you know it just doesn't work. It just none none of it works. None of it comes together well. Uh, none of the plot really seems to unfold naturally. You know the the twists and turns that are in it, like you can't really. It never really uh, uh, lets itself. You, you know, breathe I into. I don't think you care. I don't think you care <laughs> yeah. what happens. Yeah, for sure. Like there, there's you know, she's obviously playing somebody, but you don't know who. And by the time you figure it, you know, by the time the movie lets you in on it, I just don't give a shit. It just it it, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't affect me. You know, there's not a it's not a a particularly clever plan, and it's all based on sort of you know coincidence and and hearsay and it i don't know it just there's just nothing about this that i found enjoyable yeah i mean it's you it's just an example of a movie that's going for her steamy and just feeling gross yeah you know and and it is uh i guess the first time jennifer lawrence has done a nude scene so i guess that's kind of a big deal for for an actress of her stature but it just feels like this is the wrong time to do it like you know like you said it feels a little ill-timed uh, you know, in this character that's, you know, kind of basically made a tool of the, the government using her sexuality. She doesn't use it to gain her independence. She uses it to to do what? I don't really know. To be a her, spy, <laughs> to get yeah. secrets and stuff. Like, yeah, she, it's, it's yeah, it's it's almost, a, I, I, again, it just, the fact that she gets assaulted and we're supposed to go, oh, yeah, that's a smart move because now she has the secret. Like, it's just a weird thing that weird journey that it wants you to go on. I think. Yeah, I was not a fan of it. All right, what's your what's your grade for this movie? I would say my grade's about a C minus. Yeah, I, I'm same for me. I was bored. 
to death by it. And it felt, you know, it's two hours and 20 minutes or so long. And it oh, feels it's long as hell. It feels much, much longer. Uh, there, there are some bright spots. I do, I did like Joel Edgerton. Um, I did like the the other uh, FBI agents he was working with. There, there's a, a pretty. <laughs> this is the I forgot to talk about this. There's a pretty interesting scene uh, where they're setting up a like a a sting. Oh yeah, uh, which seems to come out of nowhere and kind of go nowhere. But I thought it was pretty well done. Uh, Mary Louise Parker's in that scene playing a, a senator's assistant. But for some reason, uh, and I don't know what the reason is, they're using floppy disks like circa 1999. <laughs> uh-huh. And and, and I, I don't really get it. I don't understand if they were trying to go for some timeless vibe or if they just really thought that was more visually interesting than a flash drive or something. But it's a really distracting plot point because these fucking floppy disks are like a big MacGuffin in the, the latter half of the movie. Or that middle ha- middle section of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was very check off sloppy disc. <laughs> yeah, it, it is because it's Russian. Ah. ah. Uh, anyway, all right. Let's go ahead and move on to our last segment. No ticket required. Find a comfy spot on the couch and welcome to No Ticket Required. All right. Now this is our home video segment. Uh, you know, you can go down to the the blockbuster or the Hollywood Video and pick up a a movie for the night. Yeah. Uh, this is the, or, you know, if you've got your local video store that's on the corner that has those uh, swinging saloon doors where the porn is behind there. Classic. Classic. I always wanted those for a house of mine, but I never. A porn section? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Walled off by swinging saloon doors. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Mean, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this is our, uh, uh, obviously our home video segment. This is stuff on Netflix, on demand, uh, Blu-ray, DVD. And this week we've got a movie that was, uh, is an Oscar winning movie now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, Tanya. So, uh, um, let's, uh, let's play a quick clip of, for, uh, from I, Tanya. Did you, I mean, when I was a kid, did you ever love me or anything? You think Sonia Henny's mother loved her? Poor fucking you. I didn't stay home making apple brown Bettys. No, I made you a champion. Knowing you'd hate me for it. That's the sacrifice a mother makes. I wish I'd had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I didn't like my mother either. So what? I fucking gave you a gift. He cursed me. monster spilled milk baby now this is obviously the uh uh i guess a sort of humorous biopic of uh tanya harding who of course is famous uh famous figure skater who was part of a controversy uh where uh her opponent nancy kerrigan was attacked by uh people associated with her uh before the 1994 winter olympics in uh i guess nagano japan uh so you saw this on blu-ray recently cody um how did yeah. it how did it how did it uh compare after watching it uh, back during award season uh watching it now so the, well the movie uh i i liked it the first time enough um i i just thought that i i didn't like that it's narrative device with the interviews um that are happening with the characters inside the movie um i still didn't like that as much but I do say that I, I do think that I like the movie a lot more. Um, specifically, um, I, I think that the performances are across the board really great. Um, Allison Janney, obviously, well deserving of her Oscar, and just this brutal character. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, Margot Robbie, who um, is is really great as as, as Tanya Harding, and um, and is a super vulnerable character. Uh, and uh, I, I, th- I think that the thing that, that people are sort of struggling with with this movie or have been is the way in which it, it sort of uh, is very sympathetic towards Tanya Harding for, you know, the, the act that was orchestrated um, by her. And um, and I think this, this book presents a, a point of view that says that Tanya Harding was maybe not as involved um, with that part of things and who knows – the truth. Um, but I, from what I understand that the screenplay was based on actual interviews with her and Jeff Galuli, but I, I don't know. 
Um, but I, I think that the story is, 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 is really good. I think that the script is really solid. Uh, I think that it's very funny. Um, and, uh, and I think that it's just kind of like a, a kind of like a brutal, uh, look in, uh, at times very unflattering look at, uh, at a, at a pop culture figure that has had a lot of mystery around her. And so, uh, whether or not it's completely accurate, is I guess up for debate, but um, I, I like the story that's on screen. I think that it does a great job with its figure skating scenes. They're really well shot. It's it got nominated for uh, an editing Oscar too, I believe. So um, you know, I think that it was appreciated in, in the its you know filmmaking capacity. I don't think that it's amazing. It was not in my top ten, but it probably would have been in my top fifteen. So very very much worth watching, um, especially if you were. Uh, I mean, this was like the biggest story, this and OJ uh, of, of the 90s, right? <laughs> 1994, specifically. Uh, you know, I, I do feel like the movie uh, lets lets her lets Tanya Harding off the hook substantially. And I feel like it's a, a pretty kind portrait of her. And that that was my biggest problem with the movie is that it 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 doesn't necessarily feel like it's uh, completely honest. And I it 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 really indicts the viewer uh, as being party to this terrible life that she's had, which I don't think is fair at all uh, for the public. You know, I believe that uh, I, I feel like, yeah, Tanya, maybe she had a terrible mother, but anything after she became an adult, I think was her own doing. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, a, that's where the movie loses me a little bit because, you know, I don't feel like it's necessarily completely honest with, with with the character of Tanya Harding. It wants to paint her as a sympathetic figure. And I think it succeeds in, in certain points, but I think by the end of the movie, it, uh, it it has an agenda and it reveals itself. And I don't necessarily agree with its point of view uh, completely. But yeah. So is there any uh, anything else on this disc that uh, would be of interest to, to people uh, viewing it maybe for the second time or, or even the first time? It's a it's pretty bare bones in terms of features. Um, it's it's got a, a commentary track as well as uh, some deleted scenes and then uh, like you know the behind the scenes featurette. But um, you know I, I don't think you want anything more out of a Blu-ray. I mean I I'm a junkie for the behind the scenes stuff. I love watching uh, interviews or behind the scenes stuff. Uh, deleted scenes I could you know or, or whatever. But I, I like behind the scenes stuff. All right. So uh, ultimately, uh, what's your grade for I Tanya? We, My grade we didn't talk about it. Yeah, my grade for I, I Tanya is a real solid B. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat with you on that. I I, I enjoyed it pretty well uh, for what it was. All right, that's it for this week. Next week, a wrinkle in time. Are you uh, are you excited about a wrinkle in time? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, it's I, a I, it's a huge uh, star studded affair. Uh, Ava DuVernay directing, Oprah Winfrey, Mindy Kaling, Reese Witherspoon. Let's just say I've heard some things. Uh, it, it, the advance word has not been as necessarily positive as some of these other nerd properties uh, have been. Is is a Wrinkle in Time a nerd property? I think so. I think so, too. Because it's like, I don't know if you've noticed this trend. They, they let these people, these uh, film writers see the movies early, and it's always kind of the same group of people that seem to be somewhat predisposed to liking these things. Yeah, I uh, think so. I think they play to their crowds. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like a, a Fantastic Fest audience loves everything that comes out of it. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's coming out this week. Uh, anything else this week? I don't think so, right? That's the big film. Um, a Fantastic Woman opens here in uh, Best win, uh, best uh, Foreign Film. Uh, oh, Oscar yes. winner opens in San Antonio in our market. Um, other than that, I will be at South by Southwest this weekend. So, oh yeah, uh, it's my uh, first year in uh, five years skipping it. I feel good about my decision. Uh, it's it's a really stressful thing for me, and I'm trying to to minimize the stress in my life. So, well, I'm excited. I, I do think I will be going downtown to just kind of check out some free stuff on on Saturday. My girlfriend really wants to see that uh, Roseanne replication. Or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, yeah, I'm sure she's like, going to drag you out to that. <laughs> I'm sure you, you don't care about that at all. You no, know, you uh, you know what? I, I'm being totally honest. Is 
I could take or leave Roseanne. I don't mind it, but I don't love it. She is a huge Roseanne fan. And when I told her about that, she really want, made a, 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 you know, made it known that she wanted to go sit on Roseanne's couch or whatever the circumstances are. Did you see the trailer from last night? I did. It looks fine. I guess we know how they're getting out of the he's supposed to be dead thing. Oh, yeah. He has sleep apnea or something. <laughs> I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I, again, I, I'm fine with Roseanne. It wasn't my favorite show, but I don't I don't dislike it. It's not like watching. At least I can rewatch it uh, now because it comes on one of those antenna TVs or something. One of those channels that shows like the old shows mm-hmm. all day long. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I can watch. I can rewatch that easier than I can rewatch something like Full House, where I just watch that and go, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> anyway, but Roseanne still holds up pretty well. But you know what show really holds up well is fucking Alf. And I will I will keep saying that forever and ever. So. I've never seen Alf at all. It's actually pretty solid. I mean, if you can get past the fact that it's a puppet, you know, and I, that's a that's something they need to reboot is Alf. I would watch a reboot of Alf tomorrow. Really? You're not an Alf purist? Well, I mean, you know, I would assume they would do one of the sequel series things they do now. Is the person who did the voice still around? Yeah, he's uh you've never heard the stories of that guy? He's fucking insane. Oh, really? Uh there was there's a story that Tina Fey tells, was it the 50th anniversary of NBC or 60th anniversary of NBC or something? They had a big show. Um I think she wrote on it. You know, this was back when 30 Rock was still on. And supposedly that guy, uh Paul Fusco is his name, who uh is the creator and like the voice of Alf. Uh, apparently is so insane about the characters. Like he won't let anybody see the puppet, like, you know, in its case. And he, they have to pretend like he makes people pretend it's a real thing. Like in his de- demands, people treat Alf as though Alf is the, the real person or real alien. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's weird, but I'd watch if they, if they made a sequel series to Alf, I would be watching it religiously. Interesting. Anyway, they're doing other shit like Murphy Brown and uh you know, Are they doing Roseanne. Murphy Brown? Yes. And they they were going to do Coach, which I don't know anybody that's like, "Yes, I need more Coach." But whatever. Well, let's, I can't let's anymore. Get, yeah. Anyway, I want the Oh, well, why? Because uh Jerry Van Dyke is dead? Yeah. But he wasn't coached, though. That are they, Craig, uh, Jesus, why the hell are they doing Murphy Brown? I can't believe you didn't know that. That was big news a few weeks ago. Has Candace Bergen even done anything in the past, like, ten years? She was in uh, uh, that movie with Reese Witherspoon that was bad, Home Again, last year. C- Candace Bergen is kind of morphing into... Uh, she looks and talks and sounds sort of like uh, Martha Stewart does now. <laughs> yeah. Like if you, if you, they could be each other's stunt doubles, I think, now. Oh, and did you see that Martha Stewart is playing Murphy Brown in the remake? <laughs> yes. No. Uh. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us at 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, uh, Facebook Cinesnob Critic, um, and anything else. Um, no, just that uh, Murphy Brown has been off the air since 1998, and Roseanne has been off the air since 1997. So, yeah. you know, people were really clamoring for it. Well, uh, shit. Okay, so there's Will and Grace that's out now, X Files, uh, there's Fuller House on Netflix. There's um, isn't, obviously isn't the office in talks to do that? Yeah, but that I don't. Yeah, are we talking about like touchstones that, from the past? I'm talking about things that currently exist now. Like, there's already those three reboots. Uh, They're doing that, that Karate the Kid series. Yeah, that's weird <laughs> because that that was a that was a movie. That's a little different, in my opinion. It's these like sitcoms. They're like, let's just do this again. Yeah. The, the X Files is the weirdest one to me. I actually enjoy some of it. I heard that the new season was really good. I'm a I'm like five episodes behind, but it's it's funny because it 
where the situations they put the characters in don't make sense to where they would be now. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're writing as though they're just filling in like season four again. That's weird. It's like, oh yeah, there's still FBI agents investigating these monsters of the week. Oh yeah, but there was some like violent controversy there. I don't know. It's all, it doesn't make any sense, but they're enjoyable from time to time. The X-Files is probably the most 90s show that I still uh, enjoy. Like if you watch the, they, they kept the same opening sequence and it is so 90s. I love it so much. It just oh, they, really? Of, That's cool. Yeah. It reminds me of being, you know, 15 and watching cable late at night and thinking I was the only one in the world watching that shit at that time. Anyway, uh, anything else before we go? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we're good. Uh, well, oh, so and so uh, April 13th, we have uh, Birdman Live. Well, we're not part of it, but there is Birdman Live. If you go to our Facebook page and scroll through the post, we do have a link to get buy one, get one free tickets to that. Um, this is something you do not want to miss. It's, it's such a cool event for us. We get the guy who actually composed and performed the uh, the music inside the uh, inside the movie. So please come out uh, and uh, support Art San Antonio and uh, do it with buy one get one free tickets. All right. On that note, I'm Jerry Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.